tries for Seth Jones, sitting in front for Kuzmenko, who taps it in. Andre Kuzmenko has his second of the night on a beautiful pass from Elias Pedersen, and the Canucks have tied the game at two. 7.04 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are now in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Halford, shall we lay out what's coming up for the Vancouver Canucks, just so everyone knows the situation, because... I think everyone's been so focused on Bruce Boudreau and Rick Taka that maybe they haven't looked so much at the schedule and mm-hmm. what's coming up. Because there is, like, it's not going to get, <laughs> you know, less newsworthy over the next month and a bit. Tonight they're in Seattle. So that's an opportunity to play against a better team. It's going to be on no rest. They're going to have to go. They, I don't know. I assume they went down there last night or maybe they went down there this morning. They're going to play the Kraken, and then they'll come home after that, and they've got Columbus on Friday. We're giving away tickets to that one. Columbus now actually, I think, has the best odds to win the draft lottery. Are they the worst team in the NHL? Right? They must be, right? They're, um, they're, a ter- they're a terrible team. I know they kept things relatively close on the scoreboard with Calgary the other day, but I watched a, quite a bit of that game. Because they carved want- a point out of that bad boy. Yeah, but they were like, it was, it, it, Calgary absolutely dominated them. That they, is not a good They that are is, the worst in the NHL. Yeah. How yeah. badly do they want Bedard and Ken Johnson together? Best it buddies. be so Can you imagine so if much. they can get that? And can you imagine how disappointed we'll be if Bedard goes to Columbus? Ugh. Two BC boys getting it done. So Ooh. after that Columbus game, uh, then it's the All-Star break. And the Canucks go Friday, January 27th, all the way to February 6th is their next game. And that's in New Jersey as they start a four-game Eastern road trip through New Jersey, the two New York teams, and finish it off in Detroit on Mm -hmm. February 11th. And then throughout all this, the trade deadline is really going to be heating up. When is the trade deadline? March 3rd. Still a ways away. And you know what's funny about that trade deadline? The Canucks are in Toronto at that time. Yeah. March 3rd is the trade deadline, and that's a Friday. And then they play the Leafs Saturday, March 4th. Yeah, I do. So wa- it'll be easy for Horvat to just, like, switch jerseys. Well, you know? that's what I'm saying. I do I do wonder. <laughs> like, everyone's saying, oh, the Canucks, are, there's calls happening. Teams are interested. I do wonder if because everyone's so tight up against the cap that everything's going to be pushed to as late in the calendar as possible. Every day counts. You save dollars every day. Horvat. Horvat, there was a couple times where Horvat got a little, I don't want to say banged up, but nearly hurt. Yeah. Last night, that was terrifying. Yep. You're kind of like, oh, God, that would be, you know, on all on the list of things that have gone wrong for the Canucks this season, wouldn't that be a nice little topper? Yeah. You know what I was thinking about the it's, other day? It's a, vi- it's a viable concern now. Do, do, you, do you remember when uh, the Ottawa Senators were, like, constantly just a mess like Eugene Melnick was obviously still alive and still still the owner and someone on Twitter went on and made this list of all the things that had happened to the Ottawa Senators Mm -hmm. in the last 
I don't know, whatever it was, two years or something like that. Yes. And it was like they needed five tweets to do all the things. And you're like, oh, yeah, the Uber ride. Yeah, that, I forgot about that, that one. That, that the Sens had. Matthew Shane trashing the special teams coach in an Uber. I remember that. Yeah. I wonder if someone should do that for the Canucks. That's a challenge. Could do, to I, put together I, all the things that have happened in, I don't know, we'll give the last two years or something like that. Like, just go back to the last two years and just all, all the press conferences they've had and just the little things that you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. That was crazy. Someone, there was a, someone, someone there did was it a, in my timeline a while ago, but it was it, they tried yeah. to cram it all into one tweet. There was a human rights complaint filed about the Canucks. I forgot about that. You know, like all the times that we've come in and been like, okay, this is going to be a big show. We, we got a lot to talk about. And, you know, like, and there's going to be a lot of arguing about what has happened to the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. So speaking of the pending March 3rd trade deadline, uh, there's a lot of chatter going on right now, both on the internets, Twitter specifically, and in the Dunbar Lumber text line about the future of Andre Kuzmenko. Correction. The game is in, tr- in Vancouver. Sorry. Someone pointed that out to me. Uh, yes. The game is in Vancouver March 4th. Why are you so bad at this? I'm just tired. Mm. You went out and partied last night. You had no, two, not one, but two dice. He's trying to stir up the emotions. Yeah, as he d- does. Yeah, dry January is, is tough when you're going to hockey games. I had uh, two diet Pepsis. I was like, "There's no." I'm more of a diet Coke guy, like Trump. <laughs> and, and Elon <laughs> Musk. Many things we have in common. Elon Musk, two of my favorites. Uh, but yeah, so I, I couldn't sleep last night because I had too much caffeine in me too. Um, so as we mentioned, the trade deadline, the Kuzmenko thing's getting a lot of. Um, getting a lot of play in the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket and on Twitter as well. Uh, we threw Andy threw a clip out there earlier. By the way, if you want to stream the show and watch these crazy wacky hijinks in real time, uh, go to Sportsnet now. Download the app. You can watch the Halford and Bruff show. We stream live every day. Uh, I want to just reiterate something. I think we've said this time and time again. Um, try not to look at draft picks in a myopic way. Don't look at it as uh, someone that, as someone pointed out, has an 87% chance to be Tyler Madden. Draft picks are capital. Cap space is capital. They're all assets. You can use them in a variety of ways. Okay? Don't, Don't go with like X plus Y equals Z all the time. Try and think about it as a war chest where you accumulate things that give you the flexibility to make moves when something arises, okay? Saying trading Kuzmenko for picks, you can do anything you want with those picks. They become assets. You can use them in a variety of ways. If this management group wants to uh, do major surgery, and it's, what do we call it? Emergency major Emergency surgery? Emergency major surgery. Right, like we can't do this surgery a, a year from now. We have to do it soon. Then think of... Th- all these assets is anesthesia and scalpels and everything else. The things that you need to perform this surgery, <laughs> right? You can't look at it so, like, don't be don't be a basic. Is that how you say it? Don't be basic, right? Just try mm-hmm. and think about it like that. The Canucks don't have all these assets right now. They have no cap space, and they don't have a lot of draft picks, and they don't have a lot of prospects. But if you want to make moves, you need those things. So trading Horvat and Shen... And Kuzmenko, at this deadline, would conceivably give you the things either, 
what they're envisioning is maybe there's a flawed prospect or a guy that's not finding his way in another organization. Yeah. Maybe that's a guy that comes aboard. Or maybe it is picks and futures. If that's the case, that gives you things to work with. This is a guy, Jim Rutherford, you know, affectionately known as Trader Jim. He just needs stuff to trade. And right now, Garland's hard to trade. Besser's hard to trade. Myers is hard to trade. You can't trade Pearson because he's hurt. Yeah. So you need to start looking outside the box Mm -hmm. if you're going to do this major surgery. That's all I'm saying, okay? So please don't throw back. Uh, You don't want to trade Kuzmenko for a second and third round pick because they only have a 15% chance of landing. It's got to be more than that. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about a team that has this really uphill climb and is going to be very difficult to try and be successful, you have to start thinking outside the box and you have to start thinking, how can we make moves in a non-traditional way? Is the problem with that? That over the last pretty much decade, or ever since Jim Benning took over, and I realize he's not the GM anymore, the Canucks have been basic in the way they've looked at things. Like, they haven't been creative in their trades. They've been like, we'll give you this for that, right? Like, (laughs) they haven't. They haven't been creative. They've never weaponized their cap space. They've never done anything like that. Um, They've just kind of done it straight up. And I know. You guys want a draft pick? Oh, sure. Yeah. No, I, that's I, not I, the I problem. I the problem with it isn't the past. The problem with it is is that they've painted themselves into a corner collectively as an organization where they've got to make moves now. Mm-hmm. And to be perfectly honest, that's not the best course of action. I always point to Carolina, not because I'm so enamored with the, uh, the Hurricanes, but their business model is we're not going to operate from a place of desperation. We're going to be comfortably under the cap. Yep. And when a situa- situation arises, like Brent Burns or Max Pacioretty or whatever, mm-hmm. we can get in on it. Nimble. Yes. Flexible. Sprightly. Mm-hmm. We're using a lot of adjectives right now. Little. Yellow. That's Nuprin. Oh, sorry. My bad. Do they make Nuprin anymore? <laughs> I'm getting distracted. We fear change. Um, I'll, but this is where... Um, when, when, it, when a GM comes out and says, you know, we need major surgery or sorry, the president of hockey ops says we need major surgery. And the GM tells the new coach that this is a big task that we got here. Mm-hmm. The rest of the league hears this as well. Yeah. They're not ready to start throwing great deals at the Canucks. Mm-hmm. The flip side of it is when there's other teams in desperate situations or other teams looking to unload guys because their trajectory has changed. You want to be the team that the floundering teams come to. Yeah. You don't want to be the floundering team. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. That's why this business at hand is angst-ridden for a lot of fans. You they, know, you, I, say, you say all this, and I, I agree with you, but at the end of the day, for me personally, I want draft picks. And you know why I want the draft picks? To draft players. Sure, and that's fine too. <laughs> right? Right? That's fine. I'm talking about this within the context of what management – Ownership and the present hockey ops are presented. But I'm with you. Yeah. I understand the value of good, cheap labor and young guys coming in and guys that you can mold into what you would like to see, right? You want to grow along with a group? I want first-round draft picks. I want more elite players added to this group long-term. But, again, we I don't want to get back into this endless, recycled, cyclical argument of the, you know the, the last 10 years and what the previous regime left behind. When you look to the future – you do have to realize that this trade deadline, they're going to have to make some really tough decisions. Yeah. Because really they can't have decisions. everything they want. No. And they are now straddling the line between uh, we need to move on from some guys, but we can't move backwards. That's mm-hmm. how I see it. Pretty cut and dry. 
I mean, you're going to see, <laughs> you want to talk about uh, when you say the laundry list of the stuff that's happened to the organization this year? Like, I mean, how many like tearful exits are there going to be? Because I imagine it's going to be pretty emotional for Bo Horvat if and when he gets moved at the deadline. He spent, I mean, you want to talk about guys that have come up through an organization? Mm-hmm. Bo was drafted here in what was a very profound move for this organization at the time. I didn't, I don't need to hearken back to the Schneider trade at the to New Jersey at, at the draft. He spent his entire career here. He became the captain here. He's spent an inordinate amount of time in embracing the 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 market and he's got a lot of fans. It's going to be tough when he gets moved along. And that's going to come about 2 months after the beloved 68-year-old head coach spent the last two games of his tenure crying behind the bench. I'm mm-hmm. just, and I'm not trying to make too much of this, and I'm not trying to downplay it. And I'm not trying to pull at the heartstrings. I'm just saying that there are some really big decisions that are going to come for this group that have nothing to do with what the new head coach has to try and implement, which is a huge story into it in and of itself. Like, there's a lot at play here for this team and this organization. Uh, here's a text. Jim Rutherford clearly has the mentality of quote, "Keep good player, move bad player." This will keep locking in, buying high, and selling low. There is no doubt that the Canucks have had this mentality of wanting to have their cake and eat it too. And what it's led them to is this state of reality, mm-hmm. <laughs> which they're, they're having trouble fighting, where they're like, uh, we want to move the players that nobody else wants. Well, I'll give you one hint. What's wrong with that strategy? Uh, nobody else wants them. Right? Uh-huh. And so now we're in this situation again where people are like, yeah, move Besser and Garland and keep Kuzmenko and pay top dollar for Kuzmenko because he's he's having such a great season. There is an element of like the Canucks constantly buying high on things. And that actually includes like you could say that there's that mentality when they have this bubble team and they put all the stock in the bubble team or the Bruce there it is team Mm -hmm. and JT Miller last season where they're like, okay, let's buy into that. Now let's keep that going. Because as we know, all things, when you're riding high, you ride high forever. Yeah. I wonder on the flip side, if there are teams out there that are looking at players like Connor Garland and Brock Besser and going, Hey, maybe here's an opportunity to buy super low. Maybe we can get Brock Besser and the Canucks would even retain salary on a trade like that. Now, it's risky to have that as your underlying strategy where you're just like, we're just going to go after bargain basement guys. But would anyone be super surprised if Brock Besser were to go to another team, maybe a team that is looking for scoring, maybe a team that needs a guy on the power play that can shoot the puck. The Canucks have no shortage of those guys on their power play. They got great shooters. But a team that really needs scoring targets Brock Besser and goes, you know what, you're going to be one of our main snipers. And then he scores 25 goals. Would anyone be shocked by that? Do people think that Brock Besser's game has fallen so far off that he is no longer a guy that you can put in those positions? Honestly, yeah. And there's a lot of people in the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket that are reiterating the same thing, just talking about how I think they want him to do well. I mm-hmm. think everyone likes him and appreciates all the struggles that he's gone through, but I've been able to silo that off and also say, okay, all that said, 
it looks like a real struggle for him on the ice. Like his mobility is very, very limited at this point. I would say at this he's, point, he's never been a good skater, though. Right, and and, and he so, still managed so, to so score at a pretty nice rate. Right, and now he's a worse skater. Mm-hmm. He's got less mobility than that. He has nine goals in basically forty games this year, and I don't think it's for a lack of opportunity. So you don't think he's ever going to be a good player in the NHL? If you were to bet, just just if you were to bet, you don't think he's ever going to be a good player in the NHL, and I think a good player is maybe de- determined by him hitting, I don't know, 25 goals. That's uh, yeah, good. Yeah, okay. I, I, I mean, if you want to, God, I feel ghoulish wagering on a guy's future in this regard, but mm. I would make a, a, I would wager that he would not hit 25 goals in a single season again, yeah. Okay. He's only done it twice, and it was when he was 20 and 21 years old. Yeah. Right? I mean, hey, Everyone's got – listen, I'm just throwing that out there because other GMs are going to be considering feel, that, it feels, right? It feels kind of gallows-ish. Like, it doesn't feel great to try and make money or mm-hmm. – you know what I mean? Like, you're talking about someone's playing future, but I look at it and I'm saying, in a league where it's constantly getting younger, constantly getting faster, mm-hmm. and outside of Ovi, picking your spots on the ice and firing away – doesn't seem like it's uh, a, a thing that a lot of guys can just do with regularity. Yeah. Like it just seems like mobility is such a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone talks about this blow-up season that Tage Thompson has had in Buffalo, and they always talk about the shot. I'm like, yes, but Thompson's also huge and can move. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more to it than that. And I don't know. I I, here's, I can see Besser going to another team and scoring 25. I, I really hope that he could. Yeah. I really hope that he could. But yeah. it's been... But they have to put him in the right position, right? When Brock Besser came to the Vancouver Canucks. I want everyone to remember what the power play looked like. It's going to be like, it you might give you like nightmares. You'd be like, I, I've never, I didn't want to think about that ever again. Think about the lack of shooters that they had. Remember when Sam Gagne was their quote unquote trigger man? Like he was going to be the, sh- like they had him at the point. They had him all over the place. They had, uh, the Sneens were still out there. Erickson was part of it. They had Edler. Like we were joking around that they'd be like, you know, like the Harlem Globetrotters, just passing it around, passing mm-hmm. it around, and they they'd maintain possession of it. But like, who can shoot? Yeah. They had no shooters. And then Besser came in and it was like, oh wow, a guy with a legitimately good shot. Well, since then, the Canucks group as a whole has come to the point where, you know, they've got Petey. Who can really shoot? Although, sure. crazy enough, he doesn't even have a power play goal this year. But he yeah. does have a great shot. JT Miller can shoot. Bo Horvat is the guy that has taken his game to the next level in terms of shooting. Not only can he shoot from that slot area and is so good there, mm. he's also added, you know, tips, like deflections to his arsenal, and that's helped him too. You know, like if there is a team out there, I, if I were the Canucks, I'd be like scouting a team that, that has, and I don't know if there is a team out there, like that has that toothless power play mm-hmm. that the Canucks had. And that's a good way to put it. Like it was completely toothless. They had no one to shoot the puck. There was right. no one. Yeah, no, I, I right? hear you. Yeah. Like, so go find a team like that and go like, you guys need a sniper. And here's one you can have for pretty cheap. How much? Free. Honestly. Right, but, but, the, but then the cap hit. Yeah, that's not free. You got you to take care of that because then you've got to spin. <laughs> yeah. Then you've got to spin. You got to spin a yarn where it's like we can get you help on your power play. We got a sniper here. We got a ton of these guys that can shoot the puck. He's really good at shooting the puck. He just can't bump these other guys out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. By the way, this power play specialist would cost you six point five million on your cap. 
Yeah. That's tough. That is tough. John and Camby Village. I agree with Halford that Besser looks washed. I would love for him to get another chance to do well. I didn't say washed. But I'm not expecting it. Yeah, the John and Camby Village. That's you, John and Camby Village. Not me. I, I'd use a more happy adjective. Here's another text. Synonym, if, they, if you will. If they traded Miller and put Besser on the left half wall, Besser would score 30 easy. Okay. I disagree with that. I disagree but with that. But here's the thing about Besser at that left half wall position. I remember hearing that Besser was hesitant to commit long-term to the Canucks, and that was when JT Miller still hadn't made his decision and the Canucks hadn't made their decision. And one of the reasons was, was like Besser was sitting there going like, he's got my spot. Like that's where I do my business from. Mm-hmm. And then when they re-signed him, he's kind of like, all right, first of all, I might not even be on power play one. And second of all, if I am, I'm probably not going to be at the position that I feel most comfortable with. Mm-hmm. There is an element of finding better positions and better opportunities for guys like Garland and and Brock Besser and recognizing that a, team, a player's role and um, just their role on a certain team can sometimes really, really affect their production. Marcus and Gibson's asked this question. I actually looked this up last night, oddly enough. Would Brock Besser make Team USA right now if the Olympics or World Cup of Hockey were a thing? Uh, no. God, I don't know. No. I, I'd have to look at the whole thing. Okay, I well, here, it. I'll throw I doubt it, though. I, I, doubt I, did, it. I did the research. Here are the wingers. I'm just either side. Just Let's just fantasy hockey this thing. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk, Jason Robertson, Patrick Kane, Kyle Connor, Cole Caulfield, Brady Kachuk, Tage Thompson. So that is a no. Right. He would not make that roster. Yeah, I mean. Not a, not a chance. It's not 2017 anymore. Not 2018 anymore. Life moves fast. We got to move along as well. We're up against it for time. Uh, coming up on the other side, Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times, crack and beat writer. We're going to talk to him about it, tonight's opponent. Got to ask him about Shane Wright. Right? 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 Yeah. Got to ask him about Shane Wright. Yep. Uh, he's also got a really interesting story about that the Kraken are making inroads on the ice. They've been great this year. Uh, Climate Pledge Arena has been full. TV ratings, not so great. What's going on there? We'll talk to Jeff about all that coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Burakovsky with a shot. He's gone. on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, We are in hour two of the program. Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times is going to join us in just a moment here to kick off the second segment of hour two. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. The Canucks are back in action tonight. Game two of the Rick Tockett era. It will go 7 o'clock from Seattle as the Canucks take on a pretty well-rested Kraken team. Uh, The Kraken after that, remember that crazy eight-game winning streak they went on, seven of which came on the road? Mm -hmm. Uh, They've hit the skids a little bit since then. Uh, Kraken just have just one win in their last four. No regulation wins. Just eight goals scored 
over those four games. So the shooting percentage has regressed a little bit to the mean. They will be well-rested going into tonight's game, though. The, the Kraken haven't played since Saturday, which was a 2-1 shootout loss at home in Seattle to the Avs. So that sets the table nicely for our next guest. Joining us now from the Seattle Times, Jeff Baker here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing well. Good morning to you guys, too. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. So we followed uh, with great interest when the, C- the Seattle Kraken went out on that seven-game road swing and won all seven games, and oftentimes in impressive fashion. Uh, I know you wrote about when they returned home that they kind of felt like this made them legit, like they were for real, like they were legit NHL contenders. Uh, I, I don't, I can't imagine anything's really changed over this little skid here, but do they feel this way and do they feel this way strongly enough to be a team that's going to make some moves going into the March trade deadline? Well, when I asked Ron Francis about that a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, the first thing he mentioned was that they do have a bunch of draft picks stockpiled and, you know, they would be able to do something with some of those. I mean, they also have some young players on, on the team that uh, might be of interest to other clubs if they paired them with some of those draft picks. So uh, the, the other thing he told me was, look, we have, we have like a month and a half, two months to go until the trade deadline. And I think they are going to look at some of the things you just alluded to. Um, yeah, you know, does the scoring really regress to the mean uh, because, because of their high shooting percentage? You know, are they going to be able to get through um, to the playoffs, make the playoffs first, and then actually win some games with, with four balanced scoring lines as opposed to, you know, some superstars or some natural goal scorers on, on the, in the top six? I mean, I think those are things they're going to look for. Uh, yeah, they, they haven't scored a whole lot lately since their eight-game win streak. But the other thing is you have to look at the quality of the opponents they were facing. I mean, right. that game against the Avalanche, that looked like a playoff preview. I mean, it was just a great hockey game, up and down, both teams playing technically sound at both ends of the ice, and, and great goaltending from both teams as well. Um, you know, they played the Avalanche. They beat the New Jersey Devils. Uh, they, they lost the Tampa Bay Lightning, who they've never beaten, and who are now, you know, probably a top-five team in the NHL still. Uh, and they and they went into Edmonton and they lost there too, but that's never a, a, an easy game. And all of those teams have been on really good runs, so it's so it's tough to gauge where they're at just based on the past week, week and a half or so. Plus, they were exhausted. Uh, the, the travel schedule makes very little sense to anybody but the NHL, and so uh, every team's in that boat. But it doesn't make it any easier. I'm just glad we got another team that can understand what we go through in Vancouver in terms of travel. It's it's nice to have Seattle in the league for that. Um, does the Kraken's um, reported interest in Bo Horvat make sense to you? Yes, it does. Um, and I'll tell you why. They, they, As I just mentioned, they don't really have a whole bunch of natural goal scorers. You know, they brought in Andre Burakovsky, and he leads the team in points. But, you know, he's had games where he vanishes. And, and you know, he's not the greatest two-way player either, which is their big on. Neither is Bo Horvat. But... Yeah, you know, there's there's somebody that can put the puck in the net. And, uh, look, you're not going to be able to rely on Daniel Sprung, your fourth liner, scoring 15 goals already. You know, I, how long is that going to keep up going into the playoffs? Nobody's really sure. I mean, they they've, they 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 really could upgrade the team offensively um, and, and at the center position as well. Um, and, you know, if the Canucks want young guys back, I mean, they have a young guy who they could theoretically trade – uh, you know, who who does fit that mold, the guy Morgan Geeky, who plays center, and they also have, you know, they they have Shane Wright, 
as well, but we're not going to get into that right now. But I mean, that, like, we're going to get into it though. Where, <laughs> well, that's a position where you know theoretically you could you could trade one of those guys and get a centerman back, and and what you would do in the right situation. And I'm not believe me, I, I haven't heard from anybody that they're interested in trading Shane Wright. But yeah, that, that's that's theoretically a, a position you could make a swap, and then you you gain about three four years of devo- development time right there as opposed to you know bringing right back and getting his feet wet yet again on an everyday basis here I mean so that part makes sense as well I think it's fair to classify how the Kraken have handled Shane Wright this season as unconventional um and I think that's partly because their hands were tied and forced in a few different situations with the CHL and AHL agreement but what's the reaction been like locally to how the Kraken have handled Shane Wright this season well, there's been a lot of confusion. Number one, I mean, the people here aren't that well versed in hockey, right, especially in the NHL. And, you know, they've had junior hockey. It's not the same thing. And, and so they're wondering, like, how is this guy? Uh, we drafted him, but yet we're sending him back to junior. They don't understand because they're used to the whole NCAA football dynamic or, or minor league baseball and the Mariners. And they're not sure how a guy can go back to, to, to basically the equivalent of almost uh, college and, and, and have to have to play there and then be able to come back. So that. So it's been kind of muted, I would say. I think the biggest reaction, the biggest outrage about Shane Wright has come from the East Coast, from my hometown of Montreal, uh, because a lot of there's a lot of Schadenfreude at play there. They're, they're, they want to they want to see him flop because they drafted Slavkovsky, and and so uh, and and from Ontario, there, there's the opposite reaction. There's outrage about how they've handled him. Uh, it's going to kill his development, yada yada. Um, Honestly, I, I try to tune a lot of that out because a lot of the people making those comments have no idea what they're talking about. Some of them do. Um, look, their hands were tied, as you mentioned. I think they've done as good a job as possible under the circumstances bringing him up. I, I personally haven't seen too much that's impacted his development based on what's happened in the last three, four months that he's been in the Kraken's camp. You know, if you want to talk about the year he missed Due to COVID, I mean, yeah, that, that's a that's a whole other uh, situation. He missed a year due to COVID. A lot of OHL players did. It's not unique in his situation. So um, I, I think, given that and looking at what was ahead on their schedule, they know now. Okay, we we don't have any more conditioning stints. We could send him down to in the American Hockey League, or else we'd, we'd be doing that. You know, in a perfect world, we'd send him to the AHL, but we can't do that. And looking forward, realistically, you know, can he crack the top four lines on our team? No, he can't. Uh, not not at this stage of his career, not at the stage that the players are going. I mean, you've got one of the best fourth lines in hockey on this team, one of the best third lines in hockey as well. Uh, you know, are you going to upset the apple cart by trying to force feed a junior player who's who's not really ready yet in, into that and, and sit somebody who's more deserving? No, they're not going to do that. So they, they send him back to junior. I, and I think most people here in this market – the ones that do understand hockey, I, I, I think they, they realize that, yeah, they, they gave it a shot. Um, they you know, dipped his toe in the water. Now they won't have to go through that next season with him, and, uh, and they sent him back. So, so there was a player here, you, you're very familiar with him, up in British Columbia, Matt Barzell. You know, same thing. He, they, he, they tried him for a couple of games with the Islanders. Uh, it didn't work out. Sent him back here to junior. He won a, uh, he didn't win a Memorial Cup, but he won a WHL championship here. Went back to the Islanders, was rookie of the year. So, um, you know, people here do have heard that story before. And uh, so I think they're willing to wait with Shane Wright. Is it fair to suggest that the Kraken thought they were going to get or the expectations were at a certain level for Wright coming in? And then when they got a look, they realized that those expectations might have been out of whack or out of line because he is still really young and maybe – 
this is a tougher team to break into than they initially thought? Well, look, if anybody understands how tough it is for a young guy to break into the NHL, it's Ron Francis. I, I mean, he, you know, he's done it. And, and uh, you know, he, he did it at a very young age, older than Shane Wright. But, I mean, he, he went in there and he realizes the difference firsthand. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, that, that was back in a day where, where some guys probably could break in younger than today. It's a very high-speed high, high speed game now compared to back in the 80s. and um, it, it's, it, it, it's, very, it's very different. Look, you either got your stuff together or you don't. You don't see any 18-year-olds breaking into the league right now. In fact, I'm trying to offhand, I don't think there's any 18-year-olds playing in the league uh, right now now that Slavkovsky's hurt. So, right. uh, you, you know, that part is, uh, you know, it, it, it's very difficult. And I think they understood that coming in but you got to get a look at the player first and I think they thought that they were going to be able to get him more minutes early on Um, and and nobody here in the Kraken's wildest dreams thought they would be challenging you know for first place overall in the Western Conference and and for first place in in the Pacific Division I think they thought they had you know a a half decent shot at the playoffs if everything went right and now they're standing at like a 90% chance to make the playoffs. So things have gone a lot differently in a positive direction for the Kraken this year. And I think that impacted their plans for right because they tried to get him. They were trying to get him, you know, 12 minutes a game, 12 to 15 minutes a game, but they ended up giving him six, seven minutes a game. And that's, that's not what they hoped for, but they're winning games. And, and honestly, nobody's going to stop winning games and get themselves fired in two years you know, just, just to accommodate an 18 year old at this stage. And that that's the reality. I, I feel like we might be beleaguering this point, but I want to know more about Shane Wright because at the world juniors, which is really the only time I've watched him extensively this season, he's played for like four different teams. He's played for the crack and he's played down in the AHL. He's played for the world juniors team is now he's back in the, uh, in the CHL. Um, like there were good things about him, but I didn't think he dominated to the point that, I might have expected to him. In talking with 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 Ron Francis and the Kraken's leadership, are there any specific things that they feel that Shane Wright needs to improve on, or is it more just like, hey, he's young and he just needs to learn and appreciate the speed of the NHL? I think it's some of what you just alluded to. You know, he hasn't dominated, and you know, frankly, there there aren't a whole lot of people who are going to dominate a game playing Dave Hackstall's system because the the two-way responsibility is real uh you do have to play defense and and i i I don't know that you know he was really expected to do it that much in in the junior ranks uh the one thing they would like him to focus on is uh is is stuff that leads to dominance it's it's what he does when he gets the puck they'd like to see him hold on to the puck a little bit more kind of show off some of his skill set uh get a little more creative um matty berniers uh who who's you know probably going to win rookie of the year Matty Beneers has, has done that, has done that as he's gone along. Um, you know, you know, he takes control of the puck and he doesn't just give it up right away. He he does something with it. And and you see him trying to do that more and more often. I mean, he doesn't always succeed with it. He's still learning. Um, but, but that's where Beneers is at with his game. And, uh, and, and Beneers is also doing very well on the two way aspect of his game to the point where his line mates aren't afraid to take chances because they know if they, if they mess up and lose the puck, you know, he's going to get back there and, and handle things for them. So um, that, that's what they'd really like him to focus on is, is just what he does when he gets the puck and, and show off some of that skill that he has. Otherwise, you know, you might as well draft it anybody because 
you know, you, you don't want to see him get the puck and get rid of it in half a second. You want to see him do something when he gets it. We're speaking to Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Jeff, before we let you go, I did want to ask you about one of your more recent pieces for the Seattle Times. Now, uh, the Kraken have been a pleasant surprise on the ice this year. It looks like they're going to be uh, in that mix to be in the playoffs. And the crowds at Climate Pledge Arena have been really good. They're playing to 100% capacity. There's over 17,000 people there a night. You looked at the television ratings and numbers, though, which I thought was interesting because uh, they're underwhelming, to put it mildly, and you were kind of exploring as to why. What kind of answers did you come up with? Well, first, there's a big segment of people here in Seattle that are upset because they cut the cord with cable and and they can't get cut-rate streaming service to give them root sports and give them the games. I mean, that's a whole different topic for sure, another day sure. i mean that that's real sure but and anytime you write a story about this you'll get a hundred of them chiming on the comments oh it's because they don't have cheap options for streaming but that that's not it i mean they didn't have that last season either and it's not like you know 50 percent of the audience cut the cord between last april and, and this october <laughs> right, it's a right. different dynamic at play um no i mean it's looking apples to apples uh their 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 ratings are about where they were last march and february when the team was was down in the basement and there was zero interest at all in them locally. Everybody was looking ahead to Mariners baseball. And so, um, you know, you would think it would have jumped up by leaps and bounds this season. It really hasn't. Um, and, and, you know, I, th- I think a lot of the, the issue is this team just needs more mainstream exposure here in Seattle. Um, they, they faced some, some bigger competition, I think, than they've expected from the Mariners and from the Seahawks both of which made the playoffs this past season. The, the Huskies football team had a very good season this year, um, and, and there just wasn't a whole lot of cracking coverage in the mainstream media. They still don't. I mean, when you go on the road trips, I'm the only one there that, that's not being paid by the team to be there, you know, either as a broadcast partner or as a um, uh, in-house, uh, you know, social media person. I mean, we're the only ones covering them. So, you know, that that's, that's a bit of an issue and you do see it here um, locally as well. When the team is here, even when they're practicing, you'll get maybe, you know, once in a while, some TV stations might show up, but it, it hasn't happened often. And so that, I, I think that's a general issue they're going to have yeah. going forward. They really do it out there and, and assert their relevance in, in the local community. And it might start by them making the playoffs. I mean, look, they might have to make the playoffs before people start treating them the way they do some of the other teams in this city. Uh, they were ready to do it last year when they launched. Um, you had a lot of media coming out all the time uh, to, to see these guys. And then they basically belly flopped. They didn't put, put a season together on the ice that they needed to in their first year. You, you can't just come into an expansion market with a five-year plan and say, Hey, we're going to be good in five years or else people are going to say, especially in this market, it's not Vegas. They actually had teams in this market to start with. You know, people are just going to say, we'll see you in five years. And, and I think they, they, they got the message. They tried to make a better team this summer. It's, it's become better, but there's a lag time. You know, I think it's going to take people time to warm up to this team and to, uh, to check it out again. Um, and, and so far, the ratings have been very flat, uh, which, yeah. which is surprising because they, they have an excellent TV broadcast crew. And you look at some of the comments on, on the column that I have this morning in the Seattle Times, and people are saying, no, it's not the broadcast crew. A lot of people are saying it's the cord cutter thing, but but no, that's that's not what the problem is right now. That's a different issue for a different day. Jeff, this was excellent. Thank you very much for doing this. We really appreciate you taking the time. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll do this again later on in the season. 
Yeah, I'll enjoy it a lot more if they can finally figure out a way to beat the Canucks. I'd like to see a rivalry. I'd like to see a rivalry between these teams. It's hard to have a rivalry when one team keeps beating the other one. Like, well, the, you so. know, the Canucks we'll have been pretty dominant. So uh, just overall, <laughs> Jeff. So you never know. It's we'll a head scratch. It. See what happens tonight. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. You too. Thanks, uh, Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times. Good hit there on the Halford yeah. and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. I think people need to realize, like, Seattle – is not a hockey town. It really never has been. Seattle's a sports town. There's lots of American, big yeah. American metropolises, metropoli. No, but it's not a hockey town. They, 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 it's funny because they're like a two and a half hour drive from us. Mm-hmm. But once you cross that border, hockey is not like, yeah, they support the, the junior team, Seattle Thunderbirds and, you know, Everett has a team like there's junior hockey. There's WHL. Everett gets great support. Yeah, I know. Yep. But but it's kind of it's, Everett's it's, been around for a while it's, too. It's very niche. Like it's a it's a niche sport. Seattle's mostly a football town, um, and then after that, you're you're ranking either baseball or frankly basketball. Big basketball state. And when the Sonics, whenever they do return to Seattle, and they're going to return at some point, that's going to be another challenge for the Seattle. I think he's. Kraken. I think he's right though. I think that the the connection will be when they're in the playoffs. That'll be the big one because. Yep. That's a reason for – that's when King 5 shows up. That's well, when memories are made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. when King 5 shows up, right? Yeah. That's, but that, that's the old gag. It's but, like, like, you could argue that the Sounders are more popular than the Kraken in that market. The Sounders, Sounders are very popular. Sounders have done an amazing job of yeah. figuring out what their niche is in the market mm-hmm. and uh, extrapolating it. There's money to be had, and there's fans to be had in Seattle. Of course there is. It's Because there's so much money there, just period. And there's tons of people – and you don't have to be the number one. So the Kraken won't have to be the number one sport to be successful down there. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like it's an uphill battle now because they didn't get the first year bump that Vegas got. And they didn't get the advantage that Vegas had, as Jeff pointed this out rightly, as being that first major league team yes. into the city. Uh, I want to just quickly look at last year's draft. Because of Shane Wright? and. Future Vancouver Canucks, Shane Wright. Have, have you pulled up the, the actual the actual draft where Slavkowski went first, uh, Nemich went second, Logan yeah. Cooley went third to yeah. Arizona, Shane Wright fourth to Seattle, and Cutter Gauthier went fifth to Philly. We won't go through the whole thing, but okay. when you're looking at this list right now, are you prepared yet to just be like, this is probably not going to be a very impressive draft? Like just period. Like that. I, okay. Like, the only reason I'm hesitant to do that is the last time I did that was in the 2017 uh, Nolan Patrick Nico Heischer draft, which we attended and covered. And I remember writing the article, talking to Nolan Patrick, and he was pushing back at the notion that this was going to be kind of a dud draft or a meh draft because there wasn't any generational talent. It came right after the Connor McDavid Jack Eichel one, and. The long-term prospects for a lot of these guys were, yeah, they might pan out after a little while. Well, guess how that draft has turned out. <laughs> Kale McCarr is a generational defenseman. Miro Heiskanen's terrific. Patterson's terrific. And I just kind of wonder, are our expectations of draft classes now, if they don't make that immediate impact, are we really quick to be, well, there's a bunch of busts. Because it is, it, I will acknowledge, it is extremely difficult for 18-year-old kids, especially ones coming out of pandemic-shortened seasons, yeah. to jump in. But can we also look at this list of, of players, at, especially at the top of the draft, and go, man, there might not be like an unbelievable hockey player. Well, they were saying draft. that at the time, too. Yeah, like, they were saying at the year, time. Like, this isn't the strongest draft. This I really is, wonder you know? what the Kraken are thinking about Shane Wright right now. 
would they be willing to use him in a trade? Because if they're here's the thing. If you're interested in Horvat, right? And Jeff Baker is more keyed in than we are, suggests that it makes complete sense. And where does that leave Shane Wright? 3C of the future? Right? You Matty Beneers is a top six guy. They're not gonna sign Horvat to be the three C. Right. Where would that leave Shane Wright? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility they'd be willing to move him, just in terms of what you said. And I here here's as I understand it. I talked to you one person who kind of covered this and mm-hmm. said the biggest not red flag, but the biggest red flag for Seattle was Seattle didn't release Shane Wright to the rescheduled World Juniors in August. And the thinking was uh, we don't want him either getting hurt or using his prep time for that tournament when we have clear expectations for him going into the season. Yeah. September is going to be very vital in terms of training camp, preseason training. Three months later, the Seattle Kraken released Shane Wright to go to the World Juniors uh, in the Maritimes because it was very clear at that point that whatever they thought back in the summer hadn't panned out or come to fruition in the fall. Yeah. So do you, if you're Ron Francis, look at that and say, okay, we made our early assessment and he's not what we thought he was going to be? Or do you say, we've invested too much draft capital, and quite frankly, too much time and effort already mm-hmm. to give up on him, an 18-year-old who could still be a very good and very productive NHL player? This gets you back to the whole debate on if, as an organization, you actually do feel like, guys, like I think, like I don't know if Shane Wright's going to be what we thought he was, right? Do you have the courage to cut bait and believe in what you honestly think? And I'm not saying they do. They might just be like, hey, he needs more time, and we still really high on them. And that's our honest assessment. Yeah. But I think we've seen a lot of organizations that have just held on and held on and held on, and they've hoped – yeah. You know, like, we'll bring this guy in to coach him or, you know, we'll show him this way, right? And ultimately, you're kind of like, ah, you should probably just trade him. Every organization right? every organization is guilty of that. They are. Yeah. At the same time, the great cautionary tale is when uh, the Washington Capitals traded away Philip Forsberg. Well, that's what everyone's terrified of. That's, I mean, and it's a long time but, but ago But are you now. managing out of fear then or are you managing out of truth? Uh, Chris Faber is going to join us next. We love talking with Fabes. And I think Sheldon Dries might have been the what is it the dog, the dog the, the where my what, dog's at. Yeah, it's what do they call it? D A W G. D A W G. Yeah, I'm gonna say him and Dakota Joshua were mm-hmm. on the top of his list, and then right after he tweeted that, they both scored. We owe Dries uh, some love because we didn't mention this earlier, but uh, him tuning up Connor Murphy was pretty good. That was awesome. He's small compared yeah. to Connor Murphy. Yeah, that was awesome. I think yeah. he's done a terrific job of taking advantage of his opportunity, whereas, you know, before this season, most of people would just been like, yeah, he's an AHL guy. Put it this way. He's done enough that we should get the pronunciation of his surname right. Cause I consistently. Called, consistently. Yeah. Dries. Dries. Yeah. Like fries, but dries. Chris Faber coming up next on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650.